Hello and welcome once again to Wrestling Memories Then and Now on Pioneer 90.1 FM KSRQ. We are online at RadioNorthland.org and you can check us out too on TuneIn Radio app. Also, if you uh, happen to miss this episode, you weren't here uh, to check it out live and in the moment, you can also go to our website, RadioNorthland.org, to listen to past episodes of Wrestling Memories Then and Now. I'm Glenn Brogan and uh, boy, we got a busy, busy episode here of Wrestling Memories Then and Now. It's kind of nice to come back after a mini break. And we uh, bring in my, my, my partner in crime, of course, Mike McCurdy. Mike, welcome back. Uh, how's everything down there with you uh, in the mobile studio? Oh, man, it's great here in the mobile studio. Nice 90 degrees outside, you know. Per- perfect environment to be inside the mobile studio for this uh, today's episode. But your drink is cold, right? You got something there, a refreshment uh, of sorts? Yes, I have the cold refreshing drink right next to me because I'm dying inside the mobile studio. But it's worth it. Okay. It's worth it, man, because we got some great guests on tonight. Cool, because I, I was just worried. Just want to double check on you because I didn't want to have to make the, uh, the send the message to Kenny Boland that you uh, you, you perished in the uh, the mobile studio due to the excessive heat. Yes, yes. I just talked to Kenny Boland the other day. By the way, How uh, is- he he was asking about a return engagement on uh, this show as well as Offshoots TV. So, uh, so we're gonna we're gonna get him on again here pretty soon. But you know, maybe in the winter time, so he doesn't have to worry so much about me. Okay, yeah, yeah, because you don't want to have to uh, concern Kenny Boland because he definitely cares. Yes, we got a great, uh, I guess we got kind of a roundtable of sorts, I guess, this week on the program. It's kind of fun to get back into uh, the groove of talking wrestling memories, and uh, you helped me, uh, I guess, with again this week with the with the guests, and uh, we got a couple of good guests around a really cool book, Mike. Uh, this book called "Too Sweet: Inside the Indie Rev- Wrestling Revolution." Oh, what a, I've, I've dug into it a little bit, and I really, really like it. It's one of those books you, I think a lot of the fans will, will enjoy and, and, and can't put down once they, they, they open it up. Mike, uh, what, what are your thoughts so far of, of checking out this book, Too Sweet, Inside the Indie Wrestling Revolution? Yeah, I've been, I've been enjoying it, man. I think, it's, I think it's a great book, and like you said, the fans are going to enjoy it as well. And, man, how many times can we say that we have a New York Times bestselling author on our show? I mean, you're not not to pat ourselves on the back, but you know, New York Times, you know, that, that that's some uh, quality stuff right there. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. It's not like uh, I've put out anything that's been uh, anywhere close to it. I think the last uh, piece I put out was in my community college newspaper about uh, 17 years ago. I got a grocery list on the uh, refrigerator, uh, so I wrote some of that. So, but uh, you know. I don't see it getting. I don't see it getting picked up anywhere outside this house. I want to welcome to the program Keith Elliott Greenberg. Thank you for taking some time to uh, chat with us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm really glad to be here, and I'm looking. Uh, I, I was looking forward to being on the show. Yes, yes, yes. And you've got a, a really cool book to promote too. I, I mean, this is this is some fun, fun stuff for the fans, especially just kind of going over uh, the history of and, and getting into today's times, uh, the evolution of indie wrestling and just how hot it, it. You know, but we're talking pre-COVID times. Just how big it, uh, inde- independent wrestling has been and what it's really done for the pro wrestling landscape here. Uh, you know, I guess you could say in the last few years and ever since, really, uh, as you know, as early as even the uh, the McMahon uh, post WCW days, but you cover up uh, more than just the of uh, today's independent wrestling. You go back deep in time to to, to cover uh, the history of what was independent, what previously was known as outlaw wrestling, and what was it? Uh, what was the inspiration for you to get into uh, taking on a book of this uh, subject? Uh, the moment that inspired me took place during the weekends of WrestleMania 34. I was uh, in New Orleans for WrestleMania and. 
you know, by this stage in wrestling history, whenever there'd be a WrestleMania, numerous indie promotions, dozens of indie promotions, would put on shows in the surrounding area. There was a Ring of Honor show that people had to drive 45 minutes. It was the same night as NFT. But uh, people drove out there, and I was staying with a group of friends from all over the world who were fans of various promotions, and uh, half of the group went to NFT, and half of the group went to Ring of Honor. I was noting this proportion amount of bullet code. When I mentioned this to my executive editor at ECW Press, Michael Holmes, he was in New Orleans as well, and he had the same observation. And I said, this isn't just a small phenomenon anymore. This is a massive phenomenon. Has anyone done a book on indie wrestling before? And we decided the time was now. And boy, what a time it has been uh, for independent pro wrestling. I mean, the pro wrestling landscape has definitely changed with uh, the introduction of All Elite Wrestling. But from All Elite Wrestling came uh, the idea before uh, they became this company that you see every week now on on Turner Network Television. Uh, It it, it turned out to be a, a bit of a calling out of the independent wrestling movement. Uh, that the that the wrestlers actually answered that call and really really made it something big. We're talking with uh, we're talking about the uh, the big show that was in the Chicagoland area two years ago, uh, the All In pay per view, and just the evolution of how that whole thing came together uh, with the different independent companies and with Cody and just how it, the the seeds were planted with Meltzer and and kind of challenging them and how Cody and the Bucks and company were able to step up and uh, yeah just be, put on this amazing event that led to this well now Wednesday Night Wars. Yeah, and it's funny I I've never asked Dave Meltzer this, but I wonder if at the moment when he said that no promotion other than WWE could draw more than 10,000 fans or 10,000 or more fans in North America. And um, and I wonder if he realized when Cody replied, hey man, I'll I'll take you up on that bet, if he realized what he'd inspired at that moment, I'm sure even he had no idea. It it was just, you know, what became of it and, and, and like when they put those tickets, I mean, what I remember most about this, I mean, aside from the event itself was after the announcement, the on-sale ticket date when, when that, and then the on-sale date itself, just how fast those tickets went. I mean, we're talking about an indie show and in a 10,000, 11,000 seat arena that, that you mean, you could expect anywhere from, you know, five, six, seven thousand, it would have been considered a, a, a success, but just how fast they sold out was just an amazing, amazing test to what the the fans had really been been clamoring for. Yeah, um, and it's funny. I remember that that Ring of Honor show that took place uh, the weekend of WrestleMania 34, and I could be off on my statistics, it, I, but I remember it was somewhere in the 3,500 range, which was considered, uh, and I could be wrong. Maybe it was more, but you know, it was considered. A, a, a lot of fans, but it wasn't considered WWE level. And um, but it was building. You could feel that the excitement, the energy was building. That this scene had hadn't leveled out. It hadn't reached its peak yet. But of course, nobody imagined that a family of billionaires would step in and take it to you know 
to a place that none of us could have yeah, just with the emergence of the Khan family and how that uh, played out for uh, the the guys and all elite wrestling was just uh, again you got to give credit to uh, uh, this the resurgence and how strong and what the demand is for independent pro wrestling. I'm going to bring in Mike McCurdy here into the conversation. Grizzled vet, what do you have uh, this week with our guests? Uh, Keith Elliott Greenberg, author of a really cool book called Too Sweet: Inside the Indie Wrestling Revolution. Well, one thing I'd like to touch on just to start with is. Um, you know, I've been looking through the book and I've been reading it and part of it that I enjoyed so much is that it's not just talking about, you know, your ring of honor and your AEW, but he also talks about to a lot of independent groups in Idaho, Texas, the smaller indie groups. I'm just kind of wondering is what was the process of putting all of this together and reaching out? Who did you want to reach out to? Why did you want to reach out to them? And just kind of what was the process in putting all this together and what kind of picture were you wanting to uh, draw for the for the reader? Well, I I knew this would be an evolving uh, vision. I knew that what I initially planned wasn't going to be what would end up in the final version of the book. But I it would have been so easy at that stage to make it a Ring of Honor and New Japan book. But then I'd be leaving so many others out. And in addition to all the major indies in, in, in Europe, let's say WXW and um, Rev Pro in, in the UK and uh, Progress in the UK, you know, the, the whole nature of the indies involves these very small promotions. And even the guys who make it to Ring of Honor and Rev Pro, they start out working in very small arenas and working for guys like our other guest today, David Fuller. Well, exactly. And uh, with that, I'd like to bring on our, our other guest today. Uh, the, he's the owner and operator, founder of uh, Iconic Heroes of Wrestling Excellence, IHWE here in Fort Worth, Texas, Mr. David Fuller. David, uh, let's bring you in. How did you get in contact with Keith, or how did Keith get in contact with you? And Kind of what was the evolution of that? Because, you know, your story is, of ISWE is, you know, prevalent in this book. Uh, well, uh, first of all, thank you for having me on the show, Glenn and Michael. And I'm, I'm always honored to come on and, and talk to you guys. I love wrestling memories. Uh, so thank you first and foremost for that. And also, I cannot thank, I, I, I will probably thank Keith Elliott Greenberg every single day until the day I leave this world. Because uh, what Keith did was he validated everything I've ever done in professional wrestling. And that was a big deal. Because for a long time, that's what I, that's what I yearned for. Validation. I wasn't supposed to be in this business. I was not supposed to. I'm a little kid, teenager, just looking for something to take my mind off the fact that I just lost one of my parents and me and my dad are just struggling to just make it day to day. But, um, my, I, uh, Mike Johnson, good friend. Uh, Mike's been a huge supporter over the years of IHWE and myself. And, um, so I, I don't know if I had, I don't know if we had just, I think, uh, I know Keith has been working on this for a long time. And uh, I don't think, I don't know if it goes back this far, but I know that Mike was talking to me and uh, we were talking about on the air, we were talking about the sale of the NWA because I was an NWA member for a year. Uh, and then the sale to Mr. Corrigan happened. 
but I don't know if it was on the show, but I think it was in a message. Mike said, hey, Keith Elliott Greenberg, who anybody who's a real wrestling fan, you know who Keith Elliott Greenberg is. You read his articles for years in the WWE magazine, uh, you, Blassie's book, Flair's book. Anybody who knows wrestling knows who Keith Elliott Greenberg is. Uh, so, uh, you know, uh, 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 Russo, uh, it seems like anybody, anytime anybody wants to talk about the, the magazine, they always talk about Russo. And Russo's the only author to ever come, BS, Keith Elliott Greenberg, you know, did all those things as well. So, uh, but anyway, I was told, hey, Keith's doing this project about independent wrestling. You should reach out to him. Okay. But I mean, in my mind, I'm like, Keith's not going to want to, Keith's not going to want to talk to me. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm low guy on the totem pole. Reach out to Keith. I think we were already friends here on Facebook or I sent him a friend request and I said, I said, Hey, I'm David. Uh, I'm in Texas. I've been around for a little bit. If you're interested and you need some material or you want to cover Texas or I don't even, I don't know. You know, I just, I just kind of put it out there. And Keith was very cordial and very polite. And he said, yeah, let's get together. And uh, <laughs> I think when, when Keith, we set up a night to talk to each other, and I think Keith called me. And I think, in my mind, I'm thinking he just needs background material. He just needs reference material. He just needs, he's going to, he's going to, uh, he's going to, uh, he's going to talk to me to get to uh, a, a bigger fish. And, uh, well, we ended up talking for about three hours that night <laughs> and i kept telling myself i'm on the phone with a new york times best-selling author and he's actually listening to me and we were on the phone for three hours and i practically told him everything and uh he didn't hang up so that was the first good sign uh that was the first good sign uh but uh you know we just we just hit it off I, and I, 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 he just, Keith loves the business and, and I love the business. So anytime you get two people who love the business, yes, his experience is around. He's worked with the biggest names this business has ever produced. I've worked with a handful of guys that have done some big stuff, but I mean, we just bonded. I presume uh, it feels like that we bonded and he asked questions and he listens. He thinks, he seemed very interested, and it just kind of blossomed from there. And I, like I said, I thought I would be a, I thought I would be a footnote, maybe just a mention. But it turns out that he actually told, uh, uh, you know, uh, my intro story into the business, and I'm just wild. That just, I can't, I can't put into words what it means to me to be involved in this book. Well, thank you. Um, and the, the uh, I, in the second chapter, or so. I apologize for all the David Fullers out there. I did not get to because I couldn't tell everybody's story. But your story is a very universal story because for all of us, wrestling fills a void. That's why we become passionate fans. And usually it is to compensate for boredom or loneliness or sadness. And, you know, that's what it did for me. That's what it did for you. It provided an escape. And both you and I were not athletic enough to become, you know, wrestling superstars. But we were crafty enough to figure out a place for ourselves in the business. And look, here we are. 
on a, on a, a wrestling radio show. Both of us right now, living the dream in a sense. Yes, and I cannot thank you enough because uh, it just, it made, you know, seeing that made all the, uh, made all the nights, all the, all the painful nights, all the nights I'm spitting up blood and I'm bleeding from my head and it, it made, uh, you know, there was a lot of pushback and still to this day, there's still pushback. This punk kid, I'm 38, I, I just turned 39 yesterday, but I mean, I'm still looked at as this punk kid and, and you know, down here by some uh, some in Texas. So I mean, you know, but this right here with you and and this vindication as it is by someone like yourself who has such a high stature in this business, absolutely just warms my heart. So, like I said, Keith, you'll probably get tired of me saying it, but I cannot thank you enough. Well, thank you, thank you, and obviously you enhance the book. And um, I, I know when I spoke with Mike uh, on the phone previously, we mentioned Brian Westcott from the Idaho Wrestle Club. So Absolutely. I feel that all these folks had a story to tell, and their story is as valid as anybody else's. Because when right. all is said and done, all of us are fans, and all of us right. are into this for the same reason, and that's universal, and it's a place where we can all connect. Absolutely. Now, when when you were Keith, when you were putting all this together, and you're starting to talk to guys, you know, you're talking to David, you're talking to Brian, you're talking to the guys from Chikara, NECW, you're putting all this together. What were some of the things that you were finding out that maybe you didn't know? What were some of the stories that you know you were looking forward to telling now, based on you know what you've heard from these people? Well, well, you know, um, one of my favorite stories involves the beginnings of, of Ring of Honor. And I spoke with Carrie Silken quite a bit, who was the owner at one point. And, you know, if you recall, Ring of Honor was initially owned by somebody else who got involved in a, you know, a pretty controversial scandal involving, um, you know, some sexual impropriety. And a lot of people were convinced this was going to be over. So, all these great matches we remember from Ring of Honor, that stuff could have been, you know, derailed very early on. And Harry Silken takes over, and he's, you know, a, t a ticket broker, and he's, uh, you know, he's, he's a fan just like we are. And they decide they want to branch out and have a show in New York City. And they book a building all the way uptown, like above Harlem. And it's a beautiful-looking old building, and they're convinced at this point their fans are loyal enough to show up. And then there are issues with permits right before it's time for the show. And this is going to be Sam Punk against Samoa Joe. And they're like, what do we do now? And Prince Nana, do you guys, are you familiar with him? He's, his gimmick was yes. a yes. Indian prince. Who's, he's a manager. Not anybody who, uh, you know, a Ring of Honor fan would look at as someone who'd be crucial to this promotion's survival. His full-time gig is he works in sales in New York, and he knows people in real estate. And he starts calling around, and he actually manages to secure a ballroom at the New Yorker Hotel, which is a block and a half from Madison Square Garden. The, the most centrally located, you know, spot that anybody could have conceived. And then there's this incredible match between 
CM Punk and Samoa Joe that everybody remembers. And that was, was a major turning point. And it's all a matter of small, small chances, unexpected chances, and unexpected heroes. And in this instance, Prince Nana was the unexpected hero. Now, you know, the, the title of the book, you know, the, about the indie revolution, um, I don't think people realize it. You know, a lot of our listeners, you know, may not know, but, you know, you go back into the 80s, 70s, 80s, you had the territory days where you had, you know, obviously here in Texas, there were multiple territories, Florida, Memphis. Now with the independent groups, it seems like the territory area is, it's coming back. And the indie groups around here are producing you know, stars of their own that on the independent level that eventually are able to move up to, you know, NXT, WWE, AEW. Because if you look at recent uh, programming on NXT, you've had uh, Shotzi Blackheart, Mercedes Martinez. Uh, Keith Lee came in here recently within the last year or two, obviously here from Texas. You've got guys like Johnny Gargano, Kyle O'Reilly, Bobby Fish. All those guys, they started on these little indie groups. David, you booked a lot of those guys for your shows leading up into that. And now, you know, they've gone from indie stars to, you know, mainstream stars, if you want to go with that, right? But then you've still got guys here in, like, in the Texas area. We've got guys like Moonshine Mantel, Chandler Hopkins. These are guys that, if they're not up to that level within the next year or two, somebody's missing the boat. Barrett Brown, there's another one. But the indie stars, they're producing their own stars now. Yeah, it's funny. I, I just met Chandler Hopkins a couple of weeks ago, and um, I believe there's a there's a promoter down in Texas, uh, right outside of Fort Worth, Kyle Hessler, who I met a few weeks ago in Chicago, and I believe he's doing uh, two days this weekend. So uh, you know, anybody who's down in the Dallas area should check it out. Uh, you're right. Uh, there was a long time, and, and, and I can get into it because, I mean, you know, Texas, I can speak for Texas because I've lived here my whole life. And there was a time before Ken Taylor brought NWA Southwest here in 1998, there wasn't really anything going on. Uh, we had had World Class. We had had Jared had run the USWA. We had had Global. Global was really the last big major promotion in Dallas. Uh, Fort Worth. After that, uh, we had uh, Chris Adams had run shows. Uh, Eric Embry had run shows. Gary Hart had run Texas Championship Wrestling. Gary Hart had ran World Class 2. Uh, Big D had run Big D's Wrestling out of Dallas. Killer Tim was running uh, the uh, stagecoach here in Fort Worth and the Longhorn, and he's running NAWA. But I mean, uh, Calvin Knapp was running in Terrell, Texas. Uh, but before Ken Taylor, uh, we couldn't find wrestling. Uh, we just, uh, oh, I'm sorry, and there was the CWA ran by the Blackhearts in 95-96 in the Sportatorium. And then the Sportatorium pretty much just was non-existent at that point. Uh, my first trip there was in 1997 after Fritz von Erich passed away, my only trip to the Sportatorium. Uh, so, but when Ken came along and then, and, and, and we could do a whole show just on this. And if you want to, that's fine sometime. But I mean, you know, there was a while there where the territory and all across the, 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 the nation, independent wrestling was better off. Like where Keith's in New York city, Keith can tell you that, you know, wrestling always did well 
in New York. But the, the, the WWE was the king, but wrestling always did well because, you know, our, our biggest thing was when we were down here, we would always read about Reckless Youth, who was the guy in the late 90s. He was the guy in the, in the late 90s. He was in the magazines. He was the one getting the dark matches. California was doing okay with Roland Alexander, with Mike Modest, Christopher Daniels, UPW. But down here, I remember at the same time, at the exact same time down here, we had Rodney Beno, Rodney Mack. We had uh, uh, Jazz from Louisiana. We had Sean Hernandez. And then we had Shadow coming up who later became, who's currently Lance Archer. And everybody knew those were going to be the next plethora of stars to go places. But there was a long time to where it took years before independent wrestling really picked back up, just depending on where you were in the country. And I think this book outlines it very well. Thank you. And, you know, yesterday I had this, precise talk with Tommy Dreamer. Like, again, the stories you're telling are universal stories. And Tommy Dreamer says he remembers when he was one of the indie guys, when it was him and Tag and the guy who became Rocco Rock, who then wrestled as the Cheetah Kid. That was the New York, New Jersey crew. And then meanwhile, and I learned this when I went out to the West Coast, there was a whole group of guys who were wet Southern California guys and they were working their asses off and they're like, nobody knows who we are. And some of them would actually come back East and try to work for companies like CZW so they could get a little more exposure. So organically you had all these different scenes starting up in different parts, not just of the country, but of the world, because this is also happening in the UK and in Germany. And ultimately all those folks found themselves into the, in, into the Indies in the 2010s, and that's what led to what we're seeing today. Now, you said there, there you, know, you didn't know that there was, you know, so many stars there on the West Coast scene. I'm from California, so I got to see a lot of the California guys. I've been in the APW garage, and I'm sure, you know, any research you've done, you've heard about Roland Alexander and the garage. And out of that garage, you know, you had guys like, you know, Crash Holly. He wrestled in the garage as Leprechaun Aaron O'Grady. You know, guys came out of that garage. Roland Alexander was part of Beyond the Mat, which was uh, Barry Bloom's movie back, or uh, Boston's movie, back in, uh, oh, God, late 90s. But, you know, you those little areas. 98, 99, thank you. I, I'm getting old. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you had those stars. And I got to go to uh, California. I also got to go to the Pacific Northwest you know, and go up in Oregon territory where Portland wrestling was still going in different incarnations. Uh, the Kafori's had it for a while and it actually was on a CW channel. Then Frank Culbertson was running, uh, uh, Portland wrestling for a while through, uh, the Cleaver Armory in Portland, Oregon, little patches of these groups were surviving in different areas. But like you said, now those little patches with the help of streaming services. And I'd like to ask, get your opinion on that with the streaming services that are available, these little independent spots are now becoming one big network that can be seen like worldwide. You know, now is that part of, you know, the indie revolution where these guys, even if they're indies, they can still make decent money 
and still be, you know, stars because of the streaming services and the availability that, you know, we didn't have back in the, you know, 80s and 90s. Well, you know what? As romantic as it sounds to be working in obscurity for virtually no money or getting stiff by the promoter, I think it's a little bit better if you're getting paid, if you're in, in demand, if people are acknowledging your, your skills, and if you're a, 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 a shoddy promoter, you get called out. So instead, if you're a wrestler and you're breaking your back every weekend, you're working for people who are credible and are decent human beings and are paying you what you deserve and are treating you humanely when you come and work for them. And I think it was Excalibur who told me this, that nowadays, you know, we can never um, underplay the significance of YouTube, how YouTube changed professional wrestling. You know, Excalibur was saying, you could be some kid working in Brisbane, Australia, Australia, and, um, you know, a, a video of your match could get around. Two months later, you could be working at PWG in L.A., and William Regal's in the crowd, and then you're in NXT. It can happen that quickly. Now, you know, I'd love to get your opinion on this for a second. You said, you know, you've been, you know, delving into this subject for such a long time for this book. Um, you mentioned YouTube, and I mentioned the streaming services. Are you seeing the point now? Because, you know, here this past recently, we've had the, you know, they referred to as the speaking out movement. And people were coming forward, and a lot of independent wrestlers were getting, you know, called out for different things. And some of the things that they did, you know, specifically, you know, we'll, we'll use Sammy Guevara as, a, as, a, uh, as an example. He made a comment on a podcast years ago. And that came back and that kind of came back to haunt him for a little bit just here recently, you know, as much as YouTube is a, you know, as a helpful tool for these guys, do you also see that as being, you know, kind of a danger because things they might've done in the past that they wish they hadn't done can still come back after them. Certainly that's true. Certainly that's true. We all know that we've all made mistakes. We've all said asinine things. Now, is it good that people get called out for saying sexist and racist and homophobic things? Yeah, maybe now it encourages all of us to think before we speak stupidly. But of course, I worry about people who may have made a bonehead mistake. I mean, Sammy Gravar is a perfect example. By all accounts, the guy is a pretty decent human being. And he said, instead of saying, that's a really hot girl, he phrased it improperly, and he ended up being suspended for a period. Fortunately, he's come back, and I say that selfishly because I enjoy watching him as a fan. I've actually had a chance to work with uh, shows with, with Sammy, and you know, he's a good kid, and you know, those are things I said, you said four years ago, improperly phrased, but he was also a young kid at that time he was you know, 19 maybe 20 so you know you gotta look at youth and you know mistakes and stuff like that but um another thing with, with your book you know you're writing the book you're putting it together i'm not sure when the final edit was ready to go but back in march we got hit with covid19 we got hit with coronavirus and basically as people put it the world kind of shut down and that has changed the independent scene um, a, a little bit. Now, since you wrote the book and up to now with what's going on, what kind of changes have you seen 
as far as from what you are researching as to what's happening uh, currently in the uh, U.S.? Well, that's a great question. And you're actually putting me over because I'm writing a sequel to Too Sweet, and it's going to be based on professional wrestling in the time of the coronavirus. Initially, the idea was the indie revolution would continue, the wrestling scene would evolve. 2020 was supposed to be the most exciting year in a generation to be a wrestling fan. And instead, the coronavirus. And suddenly we have WrestleMania in an empty arena. But we also had the creation, not the creation, but the enhancement of the cinematic match. That became a part WWE, and I think AEW did a, an amazing job by uh, staging that stadium stampede match, which was mm-hmm. the most, probably the most fun spectacle I've watched since the coronavirus started. You know, right. you have the creation of the Thunderdome. Um, you know, really remarkable stuff, and stuff that flies in the face of this allegation that, oh, you know, WWE is out of touch, it's rooted in another era, Vince McMahon is an old guy, doesn't know what's going on. Well, you know, they're breaking boundaries and other people are following them. That said, without the indies and the energy and the risks on the indies, because the core of everything is the wrestling, without what's happening on the indies, we wouldn't have the, the scene we enjoy now. And even though things have been shut down, I went to a GCW show in Centennial Park in Indianapolis. I went to a warrior wrestling show outdoors on a football field at Marion High School in, in Chicago Heights. I spoke to a guy in San Diego named Dirty Ron McDonald who put in drive-in shows, you know, where you would secretly get, you know, a place to meet uh, in, a, in a parking lot where a ring would be set up. And that's edgy, right. subversive stuff, what the indies always are. So, yes, it's sad that guys have been sidelined. Uh, I spoke to Brian Pillman Jr. a few weeks ago. He said, again, this is a, a testament to the technology we have today. He says he was able to live off of T-shirt sales during this period. Now, not everybody right. has been able to. And, you know, I spoke to these other guys from my next book, The Regal Twins out of Kansas City. Those guys, one guy uh, stayed in England with his girlfriend, and he's been there the whole time. So these guys, not only have they not been able to tag team with each other, they haven't even seen each other yet. But, you know, hopefully this period will pass, and then we can look back in retrospect and try to analyze what this era meant. I'm still trying to figure it out right now. All right, David, I want to bring you in for a second because, uh, you know, I've worked with uh, you and ICWE since 2014, so we're going on six years now. You actually had plans for a finale show, kind of a big, you know, send off a goodbye to the fans as a thank you. That was planned for right about this time this year. And unfortunately, you know, COVID kind of hit and you've had to stall the plans. But, you know, how are you looking at the indie scene and, you know, how it's affected you. And I mean, I know that the plans are still in effect for hopefully next year to, to come in and still do that finale show. But from your perspective, how is it, what, what's the COVID situation? 
Um, it's, um, man, I mean, I, I don't know if any of us know what to make of it. Um, uh, yeah, we were, uh, you know, uh, three years ago, my dad passed away and, um, we were running strong. We, we came back in 2014 and, and, and we were running strong. And the goal in 2014 was to, uh, make Texas the place like Texas is the place to be we have stars here and if i if we bring in a star from somewhere else it's to enhance our stars here and we we utilize youtube and digital media michael you work side by side you know how big of a proponent that digital media was for everything that we did uh everything was youtube 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 we had a television show that aired every week at the same time, on Wednesday night, we had a podcast, we had a YouTube show. Podcast airs at 8, YouTube goes on live at 9. We shot it, and we aired it just like a television show, but it was on YouTube. And in all the marketing, you can watch it anytime, anywhere in the world, on any device. And hopefully people would watch Johnny Gargano, because we knew Johnny Gargano, and this is covered in the book. We knew Johnny Gargano was going to be somebody. We didn't know when, but we knew when he was. People could go back and watch Johnny Gargano versus Thomas Shire. And the next time they come to see our show, they'll know Thomas Shire is a big deal. And subsequently, Thomas Shire wrestles Johnny Gargano. The next show, Thomas Shire is managed by Jim Cornette, beating Matt Riviera for the IWE Championship. So, I mean, we were building our own people. Uh, so, uh, you know, three years ago, I got knocked off my I – just, I just got rocked because it just wasn't expected. My dad was and me were tight. We were just so close. And, and, and I'm grateful, I'm grateful uh, for this because, you know, he, Keith, he'd have, a, he'd have a copy of this book on his mantle in his house, and he wouldn't shut up about it if he was here. This would be the ultimate. He, he was very proud of the work that we did. It brought him and I closer. So this, this business brought me my wife. It brought me and my dad closer because I met my wife. I have a son now. I owe a lot to this business. So, you know, three years ago, I got rocked off. Man, I ran, a, I ran some shows in 2017 that just, they bombed because my head wasn't there. And I made a lot of mistakes. I'm a very flawed individual. And I made a lot of mistakes. And there was a negative stigma on the shows that we ran just because there were so many mistakes. There were so many mistakes made. There were so many mistakes made. And the, the in-ring stuff was great, but there were so many mistakes. That's all people seem to remember sometimes. So, you know, I took a step back. It was like my head's not there. We've been trying to, uh, we've been trying to, uh, you know, we, we work with these kids here, trying to not necessarily train them, but get them ready to work other shows in Texas. And I had planned on, I finally got off my butt and said, okay, you know what? It's time. Let's start planning. Let's, let's have a big bash. Let's have, let's have something positive. Let's show the world what's going on down. Let's show the world what's going on down here in Texas. And that was going to be in the fall of this year. And then this happened, so it's been put on the back burner. But I, I saw what Warrior Wrestling did, and I saw what Booker T did at Re Reality of Wrestling. Booker T had a show, and Booker T is using drone cameras. Uh, Kevin, Kevin Bernhardt, shout out to you. Uh, Reality of Wrestling is, seems to be always ahead of the curve down here in Texas. It's a, it's a great place. Uh, produces so much talent. I saw what Warrior Wrestling did out on the football field. Looked spectacular. 
Uh, you know, so I'm kind of watching to see what everybody else does. I'm hopeful that next year, hopefully in the spring, if not by the summer, I want to come back and I want to take a bow to all the fans down here because these fans in Texas, they are loyal. Ask Court Bauer because Court Bauer comes down here and he's got the Von Air boys and those fans are there because they love their Texas wrestling. And, and Keith, I've already, I've already suggested to you, I want you here when we do this. I want you here when we do this. So we're going to do it. Um, just, I want it safe for everybody, the staff, the fans, the superstars. I want time to make it. I want time to make this a big deal and make it mean something, not just another show. And, uh, you know, I then I want to put that, I want to put that behind me and I want to, I, I want to contribute to the business and hopefully I can to the day I leave this world. And then I'll, and then I'll go around and I'll haunt people. <laughs> Michael, you're on the list. But anyway, uh, Thank you. you know, I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to contribute to the business, but running shows, you know, I think it's passed me by. I'm kind of an old guy now. These kids are running these shows and it just takes so much time and my son's growing up, but I want to do one more positive, just, you know, Texas bang them out show and show the world that Texas has got some of the best athletes in the entire world. All right, Glenn, I'm going to bring you in for the uh, next round of questioning. Oh, absolutely. I've been just kind of sitting back and enjoying uh, what you guys have been putting together here, uh, of course, with, with Keith Elliott Greenberg and, uh, and, and David Fuller and, and, and the Grizzled Fat. Uh, what I really liked, uh, you know, what I've been kind of got out of your book, too, and when you mentioned in, in your book was, you know, the building of these independent stars that, you know, that have been in demand. I mean, we just had, uh, you know, David was talking about that uh, and Mike was talking about how you, you bring in a guy to put over some of the local, a, a well-known guy to put over some of the talent. And those guys have been really carving their niche. I mean, it's not like you go to a show and, you know, and it's just full of, you know, guys who wrestled in the WWE. It's become more of a balance where these younger guys have really been able to build themselves up as stars in their own right and be the be what the fans want to come and see. It isn't always going to be the former WWE star, but it's going to be the guys that have been uh, battling and turning back the challenges. I mean, because it's not always just the big name that's going to be, draw somebody in. It's going to be the guys that the fans have made these genuine connections to, and especially on the independent circuit. It, it's kind of like when you root for a band when when you when you first get into the band this band and it's you know before they get really successful you you're the diehard fan you listen to all their music and then they get big and then all these other fans come in but then you're you know back in you still remember you can be like hey i remember these guys back in the day that's kind of what i'm getting to the gist of uh with independent pro wrestling is kind of like uh following a band before they got big and then watching them grow yeah i mean it's a, a great thing you know to um to see this i you know i remember going to shows and the shows would be headlined by whoever WWE had, had recently fired, whether it was King Kong Bundy, King Kong Bundy. <laughs> for whatever reason, whether it was personality issues, whether they'd gone stale, whether there'd been substance abuse issues, but you know, right. there was a certain point mentioned in the book where suddenly you're, you were getting indie stars, guys who were native to the Indies. Like, I interviewed Marco 
stunt. Marco Stunt never watched WWE. He's so young. He was just exposed to indies. That was the stuff he liked. You know, his father had been a fan of old men's wrestling. So you have people, like when I was at the Warrior Wrestling Show, in addition to seeing guys like Lance Archer and Brian Cage and uh, Jeff Cobb, you know, there's Sam Adonis, who's uh, Corey Graves' brother. Everybody in Chicago knows him. This guy is, is, a, is a superstar on the indie. Every single person in that audience reacted to him. And because he is a Chicago area indie superstar. And those guys have been existing for over a decade now. And another guy I want to mention, too, uh, and you mentioned the book, is a guy who's getting some exposure on AEW, but has been carving his own niche on the independents. Uh, we're talking about a guy who, uh, not a, you know, he's kind of a polarizing character. I'm talking about uh, Joey Janela. <laughs> oh, yeah. Joey, Joey couldn't have been nicer to me. I mean, Joey and I became friendly at the very beginning of my research. And I, I've said this to others. Whenever I had a question for Joey Janela, Joey Janela was willing to make the time and talk to me. Joey Janela said something in the book. He said, you know, the fans are the new dirt sheet. That wrestlers now, the, the, the wall has come down. The wrestlers don't have to kayfabe the fans. The wrestlers can use right. fans as a resource. What's this promoter right. like? What's this promotion like? What was this wrestler right. like? What move did you like? What have you watched on YouTube? Oh, I have to check that out. And he said in some ways, he has as many friends who are fans as, as he does friends who are wrestlers. And that would not have been possible in the days where you had to, quote, protect the business, unquote, because then you'd be given away the big secret, and the, the uh, consensus was once you gave away that secret and the fans found out it was a work, it would kill the business. So it's really a very, a, a very different era. And, I mean, Joey was very open with me. I still, you know, I still talk to Joey periodically. And, um, you know, essentially this is a guy who was willing to do anything to get attention. And he said when he started out, he was so obnoxious. He would get beaten up before he left the dressing room. <laughs> so, you know, he, and, and he tells, you know, the inside story of when he went off the roof, when him and Zandig had that famous match where they both went flying off the roof in New Jersey through the flaming bed of a pickup truck. And um, Zandig broke his back, and Joey Janela nearly severed his thumb. And he gives that to me detail by detail what happened that day. And on top of his wrestling, and, I mean, he also uh, has done a lot of promoting, too. I mean, he's done a lot of that and, and, and has been rather successful with his own uh, promotion. Well, he works, he works with Brett Lauderdale, who's the GCW promoter. And, uh, you know, those guys are very simpatico. But then again, while Joey's away, there are guys like Jimmy Lloyd in GCW. Uh -huh. That guy's a star, uh -huh. like to the GCW fans, they, you know, he is their sentimental hero, is, is Jimmy Lewis. So there are always people stepping up, you know, to, to fill that position. There's only going to be one Joey Janela. But in GCW, you have guys like Jimmy Lloyd and Tony Deppin. 
And, you know, and then you have other great guys who I saw them in Indianapolis recently. I saw these two guys. I saw these guys in Chicago. Guys like Blake Christian and Alex Zane. Real stars. Guys that will just bore you with the moves they do in the ring. And, you know, I saw recently Calvin Tankman wrestle on an indie. That, I think, was he just signed to MLW? I think he was. But, I mean, that's a guy who people compare to Keith Lee. There were so many guys like that who were out there. And we're not even talking about what's going on in the U.K. and in Germany and in Australia. And in Japan, right, exactly. Yeah, that's all just here. <laughs> And I, I also want to uh, bring in, I mean, before the COVID shutdown and uh, the Speaking Out movement actually kind of uh, curtailed some of their plans, was uh, what I want to know what you think uh, up until that point of what Billy Corgan was doing uh, as, an, as the owner of the NWA, because he started to get things rolling earlier on in the year. He was uh, with the weekly power show on uh, YouTube, which led to the NWA channel with various other options, with various other uh, wrestlers working, uh, you know, their own little segments. But Billy was it seemed like things were starting to get great things were kind of fun you know going down to George to Atlanta and reviving that spirit of the old television studio days uh, you know they had some pay-per-views but of course that got shut down but but before everything got shut down what did you think of the w- direction that Billy was taking the NWA and uh, not only him but also uh, having you know, Nick Aldis as, as their champion, a guy who I've been impressed with it, through the years since he I first got became aware of him in TNA as Magnus and, and just how he has really upped his game in, through the uh, last few years. And, you know, he carries the, himself as a true champion, a kind of a, a throwback to the older days of the traveling champ. But I want to know what you thought uh, about what Billy Corgan did with the NWA. I mean, he has some uh, fans and he also has uh, s- s- some detractors, too. Um, I, I, I would count myself in the fan category of that. And what, uh, for me, what I enjoy was it filled a void in my wrestling viewing life because uh, the, that YouTube show would come out on Tuesday when SmackDown used to be on. So instead, I was watching the SWA show. And, you know, you know, David Marquez from Championship Wrestling from Hollywood a longtime NWA member, he's very involved in that in that promotion, and you know he has a savvy wrestling mind, and he's another guy who's you know who who derives just pure joy from being in the wrestling business and creating something in the wrestling business, and I think he added a lot as an announcer and as a creative force, and um, you know Nick Aldis as a champion. You know, I, I believe he really played that role well, and I hope that we see Nick Aldis defending an NWA title in AEW and in Ring of Honor and back in Japan. You know, I think that we shouldn't write off the NWA. I think, you know, the NWA, after COVID ends, could, uh, you know, capture our fascination for a long time. Oh yeah, and not to uh, we didn't mention like uh, on the last AEW program uh, before, well, as we were taping, uh, Thunder Rosa, the NWA Ladies Champion, made an appearance that she, and she'll be working at the next 
AEW pay-per-view. I think that's something that we're probably going to start to see a lot more of. I mean, these guys going into different companies, working a few different shots here and there. I think it just would create even more fun and more entertaining element to, to, to uh, the, the non-WWE companies. I mean, you have EC3, uh, for another one, for example, teasing appearances not only uh, with imp- working with Impact, but also with Ring of Honor, uh, teasing an upcoming appearance on there. So I, I kind of feel like there's going to be a lot more of this synergy within these these bigger wrestling groups, just you know, to get their their characters on different product. I, and I think that could be nothing but a win-win and kind of harken back to the days when, when wrestlers were able to travel from one company or territory to another to kind of spice things up and uh, you know sometimes not overstay their welcome because they have commitments to their 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 core promotion but i think there's a lot of fun to be had here when you have so much talent out there especially since the the big wwe uh talent cut uh, a couple of months back with all a lot of these guys getting past their uh, 90 day non-competes and are starting to appear more and more on these uh, different programs and different shows yeah, I mean, what, you mentioned Thunder Rosa. What excited me personally, and again, I am a fan. When all is said and done, that's why I do what I'm doing. So I'm speaking solely as a fan, not as an author, not as a wrestling historian. And as a fan, to see that NWA title belt on AEW, I was just so jazzed because my mind was just racing with possibilities. And that is indie spirit. It's even though it's AEW and they're on TNT, you know, uh, Kenny Omega had defended the AAA Mega Championship on there. Remember the Bucks had, had were, they were AAA Tag Champs, weren't they? Mm-hmm. Believe so. I, I'm, I'm, you know, so there have been other titles, you know, on that show. Uh, Ricky, Ricky Starks acknowledged as an NWA TV channel. So, you know, you had Warhorse on there, who's an indie star. So even though you have this company that is technically a mainstream company now, there's a real indie spirit there, and I just hope that cooperation holds up. And the other thing is that they're not going to put WWE out of business. And who wants WWE to be out of business? Let's have more wrestling. Let's have more choices. Let's have Ring of Honor and NWA and WWE, you know, and AEW, New Japan, and, you know, Rev Pro. Like, let's have all of it. Like, you know, this was supposed to be a golden age of wrestling before COVID hit. Let's hope that's what we get in the long run. Absolutely. I'm going to bring in uh, Mike. Uh, Mike, you have one last question uh, here this week on the program before we wrap up. Um, I don't really have a question. I'm going to pass the mic over to uh, Keith, though, because the book is Too Sweet Inside the Indie, Revo- the Indie Revolution. The book releases September 1st. But Keith, uh, here's your chance. Let the fans and our listeners know where they can find the book, where they can order it, how they can contact you. Okay. Um, the book is called Too Sweet the Indie, Inside the Indie Wrestling Revolution. The publisher is ECW Press, which has done a lot of great wrestling books. They did the recent Ace Wonder of the World book. They've done all those great historical books by Tim Hornbaker about the history of the wrestling business. But you could pick up the book on Amazon. And if you live in a part of the, the country where bookstores are open, you can walk into a bookstore and get it as well. And uh, it traces the history of indie wrestling and outlaw wrestling 
all the way back to the 1960s, and then it takes us uh, through the ECW era. It takes us into the post purchase the purchase of WCW and ECW by WWE. Uh, the scene that was left in its wake, how that scene built up. Part of the book takes place in the UK. Part of the book takes place in Germany. There's stuff about Texas. There's stuff. There's a lot about Canada. There's a lot about the West Coast. So I apologize for all the promotions I didn't get, but I do feel it provides an accurate snapshot of this time in history, and I do view this as a historical document. However, there's more history being written as we speak, and that's why I'm doing my sequel, which will be about this very bizarre year, both in the world and in professional wrestling. All right. Well, Keith, I'd like to thank you for joining us. I've enjoyed what I've read so far, and I am looking forward to finishing the book. Uh, David Fuller, I'd like to thank you for joining us as well, offering your perspective, part of being part of the book, and to give us your perspective on the indie wrestling scene here in the Texas area. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you for having me, Keith. Thanks again. Uh, I got to. I got to finish. I got Michael. We got to finish my book. We got to. We got to. We got to start your book. <laughs> well, we got to start my book. Yeah. yeah, I think we started it. I think we got one chapter done. We got to get that done. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Well, thanks a lot, guys, and it was a fun hour listening uh, to all of you guys uh, chat about uh, the independent pro wrestling scene. And for David Fuller, Keith Elliott Greenberg, and the Grizzle Vet Mike McCurdy, I'm Glenn Broggett. This has been Wrestling Memories Then and Now.